0: Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength Podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn.
1: She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be that all
0: she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation.
2: Within arm's reach are people who are hungry. And there is a anxiety and a stigma attached to that.
0: I am here with Brian Voltaggio, amazing chef and amazing champion of a lot of great work in the community. I'm going to ask you, Brian, in a moment to just tell us how it all started for you. I know you're a James Beard Award nominee. You've got uh, TV. You've been on a master chef and top mm-hmm. chef, top chef masters. You've just had an incredible career in a short amount of time. Um, just going to want to hear where it started. And, and we're here with Ann Sheridan, who's uh, kind of a lifelong political campaign manager, community activist, um, most recently running a campaign that I know a lot about called the No Kid Hungry Campaign um, in the state of Maryland and running former governor, uh, O'Malley's, Martin O'Malley's, uh, Office of Children um, in the state of Maryland. So we're going to talk about um, a number of issues that the three of us have in common. But Brian, let's start with you. When mm-hmm. did you start cooking and how did you uh, get to where you are? Um, I think I started cooking when I was about five. Um, no kidding. Really? <laughs> yeah, Because your parents were Yeah, not, profes- not
1: professionally by any means. But um, you know, I started cooking with my grandfather when I was really young and this will come full circle in, in the conversation. I think is you know was really important. I think because that was a time that I remember with my grandfather. He was a he was a Navy frogman turned whirlpool salesperson, and um, somehow fell in love with the kitchen and cooking at home. And I just I think that's where I fell in love with food was was cooking with my grandpa, you know, with pop up. And um, you know, over time, um, you know, I, I got into I was playing sports and all of this stuff, and then you know I. I uh, found myself about 14 years old in high school, um, picking up a, a part-time job as a busboy in a hotel. And um, I found out what they were doing in the kitchen was a lot cooler than what I was doing. And so I asked the chef, I was like, hey, if I take this vocational program, can I, can I cook? And that's where I got my first shot. Then I went on from there and went to Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, graduated, um, ended up uh, working for a man named Charlie Palmer and uh, worked for him for almost 10 years. I opened up his restaurant here in D.C., Uh, Charlie Palmer Steak on Capitol Hill. And then in 2008, I opened Volt. And that was my first restaurant. And now we have uh, five restaurants or or five brands and eight restaurants
0: in the region. And those restaurants have, at last count, raised more than $750,000, three quarters of a million dollars, for Share Our Strength's No Kid Hungry yeah. work. Yeah, my, bol- my, goal this, my goal this year is to get over the million
1: mark. We, we're going to make that happen. But, uh, you know, I, I became very passionate working with No Kid Hungry and Share Our Strength when I f- was working for Charlie. Um, my first my first opportunity to work um, with you was in, in New York City, and um, in a, it was an event there. And I was a young cook, and you know, I was a line cook, and I didn't really understand what we are doing. But then I started listening to the messaging, and I started seeing more and more. And then when I got down to D.C., um, you know, I, I started to become more involved and um and, and I fell in love with the with the um you know, with supporting this cause because for a number of reasons. I mean, you know, for me as a chef I just can't even imagine there's children out there that are hungry, you know, because
0: I can feed people. It's what I do for a living. Well let me let me go back and ask you something before I turn to Anne. Uh, you're working for Charlie Palmer, you're in the kitchen. How does that work when when, when you're a, a young guy like yourself? Mm-hmm. You're on the line and you're doing stuff because you hope chef will notice you or you've got some relationship yeah. with him. How does that work? You How, scratch and claw <laughs> your way up. <laughs> um, you know, I'll never forget, though, when I was working for him,
1: well, when I first was trying to get a job there, I was a, I was a culinary student at you know, Culinary school of America. And one of my instructors, I guess maybe took a liking to me, is like, you know, I, I think you're going to be something in his, in his career. You'd go down and, and talk to a few of these chefs in the city. It my first time in New York. I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into. And I went down to his kitchen. You know, I started to realize who Charlie Palmer was from afar, Food Arts Magazine, and all of these, you know, publications that are out there, but I didn't, never really met the man. So I thought it was more of a unicorn. And then when I walk into his kitchen, uh-huh. he's there. And I can't even speak. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm, I'm meeting somebody who is, you know, at, at the top of his game and what he does and what I was aspiring to be. And so I was nervous at first, but I kept to it. It was like three or four weeks that um, I was going down there every weekend trying to get the spot as an extern, and then he finally spoke to me. <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like I wasn't even noticed for a while, but maybe I got faster at what I was doing. Who knows? But I, maybe they saw something in me at the time. But the one thing I did notice about him going back and looking at him is I wanted to work for him because you know I saw him pick up a mop and a broom and sweep the floor of the kitchen, and he was involved in what was going on. You know, He wasn't... He wasn't just a celebrity you know what I mean he wasn't just he was it was his restaurant you know and I wanted to work for uh, somebody who was that engaged in what they were doing and so it was and he's been authentic in everything he's done ever since you know and, and I've been very proud to work for him and so you know I, I believe that's one of the biggest things I learned working for him was um, was taking that work ethic and applying to to what I do in, in my
0: restaurants incredible that's an yeah. incredible uh, as I say, Diane, let me ask you how you think about this because in our work in the nonprofit sector, I always think of our work as you know working with people who are not only vulnerable, but often voiceless. And so to try to bring visibility to that work is, is hard. And one of the ways that we, I think, sometimes compensate for that is to uh, really run what I think of as kind of a ground game, a field operation. You know, you're in the community. You're going door to door. You're organizing teachers. You're organizing activists. You've had a lot of experience with this in your campaign work. Just tell us a little bit about how you got started as a political person and how you ended up running the governor's office on children.
2: So, growing up, my parents always expected all of us kids, I uh, am one of four, to have an opinion at the dinner table. Um, and when we were growing up, they also um, felt strongly about their sort of responsibilities to the community, and one or the other of them were perennially running for office. So, I thought the garage. Was where you kept precinct maps because that was the freakish, and and we were it was in the days when um, stuffing envelopes was for real, yes. and we were sort of a captive labor force. My siblings and I, which um, my mom would bring down to like Democratic headquarters, and we, we, <laughs> we would we would do the work that needed to get done. So um, there was always sort of an awareness of um, the fact that we lived. Uh, Ourselves with um, free from free from from things like hunger, um, and we were all fortunate to have um, great educations. But um, it's been a real um, adventure uh, for me to get to work for I think some of the most passionate and principled and um, committed people. You, Billy, being one of them, Governor Malley, um, and folks before that. And to be part of things that are larger than yourself.
0: And when I think about um, the way government should work, I think about Brian raising really enormous amounts of money for organizations to um, do their work in schools and in communities, but the only chance of that work really getting scaled up is if the public sector is if a governor or a city council or a school superintendent says, wow, I've seen what you've done with the No Kid Hungry campaign Mm -hmm. in this community. We want to make it happen everywhere. So it really does take those whether it takes the driver or the gas or the car or the roadmap right. or <laughs> you know it does it does take all all three.
2: So um, it was really Brian and our chef's community's commitment that made this possible. And I um, I remember meeting him the first time. And you know, you know politics is an intense business and is known for people of a certain sort of passion and intensity. Um but I remember talking to him about our our challenges and why we couldn't do this or that because we didn't have the resources, and um, he was absolutely just beside himself. <laughs> like, this can't be. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is this? You're, you know, these 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 kids um, deserve better than this. All, all of which we we agreed with, of course. Um, but it really was his. You know, just expectation of himself, his organization—that this we're gonna we're gonna change this.
1: Yeah, I would be kicked out of politics actually if I <laughs> if I even thought about doing it. I mean, I, you know, it's just I I envy you know the patience that's involved in that in that business in that world because you know in a kitchen as a chef, I mean, we're you know it's 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 always a moving business. It's a, you know it's probably why I like it so much. I mean, we get to make change happen very fast. You know, and get to the end result much quicker, and so you know to to rally a bunch of chefs who are looking for the end result on a regular you know a, a, on a on a daily nightly basis you know with the you know the the end of a service it's a it's a it's a complicated mix <laughs> you know the way right. I kind of look at it, but the good thing is I think that there's so many passionate chefs out there that and I think that we're all behind this because we know that but you're you're moving in this effort as fast as we want to see it and we know it's possible for it to happen. I've seen change happen in, in, the, in the years I've been working with you. And, and think about it. It's been not that long. We've instituted you know, breakfast meal programs in the state of Maryland in, in huge ways. I saw it firsthand when we rode through there. I saw those meals being brought to the homeroom and any kid could have that. That's, that's a
0: milestone. And, Brian, you have not only testified before Congress, you've not only mm-hmm. been on TV shows, you've not only cooked at Food & Wine Benefits – you rode 300 miles on a bike yes, yes. with other chefs uh, from where to where? Uh, so I rode from uh, New York City all the way down
1: to um, Union Station, Washington D.C. It was over three days, uh, approximately 300 miles. It was some of the most—it was the most grueling 300 miles of my entire life because you're not—you you weren't a biker. Before I was this, not. Right? I was not a cyclist. Yeah, I, I now can say I guess I'm officially one. Um, you know, I was. I was inspired to do more, and, you know, I I think that, you know, it was easy for me to go out there and, and, and cook and, and raise money and, and, and do some dinners, and, you know, it's easy to go and testify and try to, you know, make change happen, but I wanted to do something that was – I had to make a change for myself in order to make more happen. I know, so it's kind of selfishness in one sense, but then again, it was also – um, I, I wanted to show my commitment towards what i was trying to accomplish here um, you know get more people rallied about it you know uh, i think it was it was a great opportunity for a lot of social outreach um, social media and you know so i felt like we were able to spread more messages um and then also you know it was great to to, to get together and, and, and you know get to know some of the chefs in my community a little bit more you know and we're all here working for one cause and i i felt like it was a you know, a moment that we're all rallying behind this 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 effort that we're all working towards, and and sort of celebrate that
0: in a way. And were you actually able to stop and see some of the kids who yeah. benefit from these programs? So tell us, you went into schools or after school programs.
1: The greatest the greatest stop that we made was when we stopped in Baltimore City, and we stopped at one of the schools. So it's my home state. So I mean, there were chefs riding from you know all over the country, but we got to go see firsthand some of the work that we did in in my home state, and um, we got to see. A breakfast meal program that was happening in all the classes in the homeroom. You know, we got to talk to the kids. We got to, we, I mean, we we're sitting here, you know, telling, hearing stories from them about how important breakfast is to them. And we we're talking to third graders. I mean, in second graders, it was.
0: And they could articulate it. They could talk they, about the need.
1: Yes. They were thankful for, for what was happening in their classroom. And I remember sitting in a group of kids. There's there two or three of them that were there, and we kind of just went up to their desks, and I don't think they really understood why we were there. <laughs> you know, it was a bunch of guys in spandex <laughs> showing up <laughs> in our classroom. Um, but it was, you know, when we got down to it and we, we you know, um, started asking some questions, I started to, to realize, I mean, I remember this one little girl, and I can't remember her name for, for the life of me, but um, I think maybe because I was a little bit too moved and, you know, was just in awe you know, about the things that she was saying, you know, she was extremely grateful that this was happening and she didn't really understand, you know, where the breakfast was coming from or why it was happening. But she did know is that, you know, she was able to get a meal and she didn't really know if she was going to have dinner when she got home. So she knew that she had to make sure she ate this breakfast and she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be that all she got. And, you know, I, I, I don't even know if she actually wanted to speak with us because she was busy eating her breakfast, you know, because I felt like it was almost to the point where she felt like if she wasted time with us then she was not going to get her meal. You know, and to see that firsthand was was sad and exciting at the same time because we 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 accomplished something but it still wasn't enough. You know, there was still so much more that needs to be done, but at least something was happening. So it was at least a window into the change, but it was still it was still um it was still heart-wrenching, you yeah. know, to know that she didn't know if she was going to have dinner when she got home. You know?
2: So um, Brian's familiar with Frederick and some of their after-school programs. Right. Um, and I went to one of them one afternoon to see what's known formally as the after-school, at-risk after-school meals program. Mm-hmm. Um, but got struck up a conversation with um, a boy there. He was maybe like 10 or so. Um, and asked him how he liked his meal and so, and so forth. And he got really serious, for a second, and said, "You know it's not the greatest meal I've ever had, but I really like that they care enough about me to feed me. Wow, and that just killed yeah. me right <laughs> so yeah, um, because again, like the message that it's sending, we, we understand what it's like to be you, and we you know are, are going to make sure the world is a welcoming place that meets your needs every day. I um, mean if
1: you think about all of the problems that that solves, so, too. Right. You know, yeah. you have a you have a child that, you know, is either going to be cared by his community and by the people around him, you know, or not. And you just you can imagine what happens to a child who felt like or feels like nobody cares They're about not him. Not valued. Exactly. No. Right. Um, and speed to, your... to so many other problems in adulthood. So hunger 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 solve solves a lot of problems. A lot of social issues. A lot of things that, you know, health issues. I mean all of the things that we're looking at that we're trying to combat can all be solved with one thing
0: yep. you know so if we all get together around this, we can solve a lot of the world's problems. Yeah. So, Anne, explain this to us. Why is this so hard? You've probably been in more schools I than i <laughs> no, Well, you've been in more schools than all of us put together, right? And I do. We have to take politicians to every single Far, school? Or? in a way
2: the most um, really fun I ever had on on the job was the days I got to go to schools mm-hmm. and, and talk to kids, and and often when I um, told other people sort of professionally what I did, I work this great organization, and mm-hmm. we're um, trying to connect kids to to nutrition, and and they would stop and they'd say, "Well, who's who's against that right (laughs) but as it turns out this is really a um yes yes it's it's um i would call it systems change right i mean you're just dealing with a big rule-bound system and it is not a system that was devised with kids at the center of it it's there for compliance reasons and accounting reasons and Regulation reasons. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really takes someone um, like, like Brian and like you to, to talking about this to remind everyone that, first of all, kids are, yeah. are hungry. They are dealing with this anxiety uh, all the time. But that... We do have the resources. We can change the system.
0: Let's talk for a minute about the quality of the food mm-hmm. because as a chef, it must make you sometimes a little nuts to walk into a classroom and see. I mean, mm-hmm. and it varies widely from town to town, state to state. Right. But you've probably seen some things where you're like, gosh, we can do better than that. And, yeah. And the no, health I, factors involved are so huge today.
1: I know. Um, I mean, we're, we're at least getting in the right direction. We're providing nutrition of some sort. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's, it's getting better. What it is um, ultimately can be better um, very quickly, too. But, you know, the great thing is that what I do see is that there's, you know, on on a broader scope, I think there's a generational change that's happening. I think there's a lot of people who are obviously more involved into, you know, where their food comes from. So these are the, the parents of the next generation, right, that, that right now. So I think that. We're doing great you – know, made great strides with what we're doing and working with No Kid Hungry and share our strength. But then also I think that there's going to be more demand even with it, with this next generation coming up. They're going to want more out of everyone. I think they're going to want more out of politics. I think they're going to want more out of their schools. I think they're going to – I think we're going all going to go in the right direction because we've been talking about a lot of things for a long time. I mean – Chefs are big advocates about, you know, hyper-local and all of those things. Well, what we did was is we just went back to what it used to be, you know, before we had food coming from across the country. Food used to be in your community, and that's where it came from. And we're going back to that. So it's great to see that all of that's going to happen, this will help impact that. This will help push this cause further, I
0: think, faster than where it is right now. People who are listening, who are inspired by what the two of you are doing, and I think Mm that will be a lot of people – what can they do? What can
1: what they can do is, I mean, they can help educate their children in their own homes. I mean, I think that's really important. You know, whatever means you have to 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 be able to put food on the table, if you have that opportunity, then do so and do it with your children. Teach them the importance of nutrition. Have a have a family meal on a regular basis. Those are the things that you know. When I was growing up, no matter what, I mean, my my mother was a single mom for a long time, and. You know, no matter what, three children had, had a meal at 530 every single day. We rallied around the table. That was our special time that we had together. And there's an important, about, important thing about sharing a meal and, and teaching kids, you know, how to cook. Anything
0: to add?
2: It's, it's easy not to see this problem. It really yes. is. And so part of um, what come, many conversations we've had with, with our kids um, is to realize within arm's reach are, are people who are hungry. Um, and it's not always evident, and there is a anxiety and a stigma attached to that that um, we need to reach out and overcome.
1: Speaking up, I think, okay. is is really important. You know, because you know there might be somebody out there who's listening to this is hungry right now, and and I think it's important for them to 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 go out there and 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 speak up and speak to you know what what they need for their family. You know, and I think that it's really important we start. You know, not only helping to share and spread this message, but and also listen to the people out there who really need this, and and try to help solve the problem with them too. Um, you know, but if we all just still continue to rally and stand behind this, I think we're going to make sure that no kid goes hungry one day.
0: Yep, it's going right. to happen. It's a solvable problem, and you've both said some version of "if you bear witness to it, you mm-hmm. will get involved and you will change it." Brian Voltaggio and Sheridan, thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Billy. Add passion and stir. Big chefs, big ideas is the podcast from Share Our Strength. The Share Our Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall.
2: I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.